Every year, the Pritchard Committee for Academic Excellence meets to discuss ways we can promote vastly improved education for more Kentuckians to improve quality of life and decrease long-standing poverty. This year's meeting is virtual because of the COVID-19 pandemic, so we're presenting interviews with our annual meeting speakers via YouTube. We hope this provides an opportunity for all our members to tune in and many other Kentuckians as well. The theme for this year's meeting is mobilizing Kentuckians for a big, bold future. Achieving this big, bold future requires a groundswell of deepened civic engagement and an enhanced understanding of the future of work and our economy. Kentucky's Secretary of State, Michael Adams, is known nationally as an advocate for increased voter participation and as an expert in election law. He joins me to talk about Kentucky's recent historic high voter turnout rate and the importance of civic participation. A primary goal of the Pritchard Committee is to mobilize citizens around a big, bold future that would include increased educational attainment, uh, that would prove to in increase quality of life in the state and decrease poverty. So one of the ways we know to do that is to increase civic engagement, particularly at the local level. Secretary of State Michael Adams is known nationally for his advocacy to increase voter participation and as an expert in electoral law. So he joins me today to talk about, uh, to talk about voting and to talk about civic engagement. Secretary Adams, thank you for Thanks taking so time out of your schedule to be here with us today. Great to be here, thank you. I'd like to start with your personal story um, to share with our listeners what drew you to um, interest in elections uh, to begin with and an interest in civics and history? Well, I believe in the American dream. I've lived it in my own life. Uh, my mom grew up in a trailer and, and uh, worked really hard to give me a better life than she had, and, and I've had one. Uh, when I was a kid, I was really highly regulated in what I could watch on television, and pretty much my only options were C-SPAN and old classic movies. So I watched a lot of C-SPAN. And this is during the Reagan era, and I watched a lot of uh, television uh, that branched out into CNN, which was just coming into vogue at the time, and other, other outlets. And my, my parents were Democrats, and I was always a Republican from before I could vote. And our elections in McCracken County were settled by Democratic primary. So I would go and study the candidates and give endorsements to my parents on issues they cared about. And that just became something that I, uh, I felt passionate about, and that led on to other things. And so uh, ultimately, uh, a law degree uh, from Harvard and a successful private practice in election law. So it's been a passion of yours since before you can remember, it sounds It's like. the only thing I'm good at. That's what I figured out. <laughs> and you're doing it quite well. Thank you. So let's talk about voter participation. So mm -hmm. one of the metrics we at the Pritchard Committee have started to use to compare ourselves nationally is voter participation. How are we doing as a commonwealth? Um, and we also use that as a proxy for civic engagement. So we know that communities that are, likely, that are civically engaged are likely also going to the polls when it's time to vote. You, um, since you've been in office, have presided over one of the um, highest election participation rates in our history, 64%, I believe, in the last election. So what do you attribute that momentum to in recent years, and how do we sustain that? Well, uh, there's some good and some bad news there. Uh, in areas that were more polarized, you do see higher turnout. That's not all, all good, but it's also not all bad. When people are polarized, they're motivated, they participate. 
but I do think that the reforms that we implemented last year to make it easier to vote did play a, a big role in a record turnout of over 2 million Kentuckians going to the polls in November. Uh, I'm pleased that we have kept early voting. Uh, not weeks and weeks, it's not sustainable, uh, but we've got uh, now four days to vote. Uh, actually, folks that are voting this year in special elections will enjoy that too. Uh, three days of early voting plus election day. I do think that'll make a big difference in the turnout. And you expect to continue so in, into the future, even on the other side of this pandemic, to maintain the, the early voting, the, the multiple days allowed for voting, maybe longer hours. You see that as a benefit long term. Uh, ironically, it was easier for us to get three additional whole days to vote than it was to add one more hour to election day oh. itself. That's a long day for poll workers. Mm -hmm. The county clerks were quite resistant to that. But I do think offering people, especially that Saturday, giving them Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it's a game changer. I just spoke to the Richmond Chamber of Commerce. My mom works at the JCPenney in Richmond in women's retail. She normally doesn't vote. She voted in 2020 because she was able to work it out with her work schedule. I think about folks like my mom when I do this job. I'll never miss an election. I'm pretty insistent about it, but regular folks don't think that way. They can only vote if it's convenient, and so we've made it convenient. And you mentioned the polarizing aspect that really drives people to the polls. And certainly debate, disagreement is not inherently a bad thing. Uh, one of the reasons we vote in our democracy is to settle some of those things. Um, how, do, how have you encouraged folks to go to the polls in the last election? Kind of regardless of that polarization, how, you think about your mom and other family members, friends you know. How do you encourage them around the importance of voting participation? I think there's two things that are key. Obviously, voting is really important. If you don't vote, people don't care what you think. It's just the bottom line. But also being informed. And so what our office is going to be working on and introducing in the next year is a larger civic literacy program. Civic education is good. It tells you how to vote, when to vote, and so forth. But it doesn't give you the tools to think through the issues and filter them out. People have access to more information today than they've ever had, but they're not always capable of filtering that, and they often mistake misinformation for real information. That's a great point, and you know, uh, obviously something the Pritchard Committee cares deeply about when we think about history education, civics education of our young people, and ensuring that's uh, that's broad and accurate, accurately captures our history. So are you looking at specific strategies there to increase uh, the quality, I guess, of civic education, history education? I'm joining a, a very distinguished panel of legislators, uh, local officials, educators, and others uh, in the coming months on a task force to come up with some recommendations for the General Assembly as well as for our educators. And so okay. I don't have a lot to introduce yet, but we mm -hmm. expect that in the next year. Okay. And that's specific to Kentucky. Yes. You might also, Secretary Adams, share with us then uh, a, a task force, I believe, or a fellows um, opportunity that you've joined with the Hunt Institute. I just can't say enough good things about the Hunt Kane uh, program. Uh, they look for folks like me. Uh, legislators, state treasurers, auditors, secretaries of state, and so forth. Uh, we have uh, monthly, well, there's Zooms uh, for obvious reason now, but we have monthly meetings uh, with distinguished guests in the education sphere. And then we have a couple of in-person uh, retreats. We just had one in New Mexico last month. I got to meet a really, a really great crop of people from all over the country that have made big changes in their systems and their states. So we'll look for more coming out of, of that group as well. That's right. We talked about momentum in the last election. Um, you've been spotlighted nationally because of Kentucky's bipartisan approach to voter participation, uh, protecting, uh, uh, I think, voter participation, ensuring there isn't fraud in the system. 
um, again, in a very bipartisan way. So talk to us about that success. What led to that success, the importance of that bipartisan approach as we move forward kind of uh, to, to support and, and maintain our democracy as we know it? Well, I had a little bit of luck in 2020. It wasn't all bad luck. Uh, we got to vote after Wisconsin and Ohio. We have a law that allows the governor and secretary of state to jointly agree to delay an election by up to five weeks. And we took that, uh, took that path. And in the meantime, we had elections under states. And unfortunately, they didn't go well. Uh, you had a partisan bickering over what the rules were going to be. Was there going to be early voting or not? Was there going to be expanded absentee or not? You had litigation. You had, in Wisconsin, a Democratic governor and Republican legislature go to war. And the voters were left in the lurch. In many cases, they didn't know what the rules were going to be before the election. They were told they could vote absentee, and then they were told, no, those won't count. They were told the election was on, then it was canceled, then it was on again. And the voters were left holding the bag. So watching that happen in other states uh, told me we can't have that happen in Kentucky. That's why I went to the legislature. I asked Democrats and Republicans to pass a bipartisan bill to have both the governor and me be able to make changes. Uh, and it worked out really well. Uh, it worked out because, A, we had both parties at the table and everyone's voice was heard, but also had a good look. And I don't think that you would have had the high participation if one side or the other thought the rules were rigged. Had it just been the governor making the rules, the Republicans would have cried foul and sat on their hands and, and not voted. And same thing if I'd run the elections by myself. Democrats would think something was suspicious. And that's what Kentucky's done right that really no other state in America has done this year, which is to do this in a bipartisan way instead of fighting it out over party lines. Building confidence in the electorate then, um, that their vote really does matter. And that confidence is so important. That's right. There's two types of vote suppression. One is the obvious, and you do see that in some places. The other is not taking security uh, seriously enough. And then people think, well, the election's rigged. What's the point? You can balance access and security at the same time. There's no inherent reason that you have to make it hard to vote uh, to make it hard to cheat, and vice versa. That's what's unique about our state is we've put the politics to the side, and we've done this mm -hmm. in a way that we brought election administrators to the forefront, got their uh, input on what to do and how elections work and but both parties together and so this bill actually uh, that we just passed is the biggest reform of our system since 1891 and it passed almost unanimously through both chambers democrats and republicans so covid really presented an opportunity for um, some some thoughtfulness around how we were supporting and managing elections in the state and you were able to to be in a position to lead uh, much of that as you look to your, your, your future years in office, are there three things you'd like to do to further um, secure and strengthen Kentucky's voter participation? We're studying that. Right now, my goal for the remainder of my term, number one, is to implement this law. Uh, think about this for a second. The election code that I inherited in 1891 was written before cars, mm. before electricity and homes. Uh, you had to ride your horse to go vote. Uh, that's how old this was. Uh, every other avenue, uh, legislatively, our tax system, our education system, our unemployment system, those are things our legislature comes in at least once a year to kick the tires on and hopefully modernize and improve. But just through simple inertia, they hadn't bothered with our election system to make that up to speed for modern times. People didn't have jobs. Very few of them went out and had jobs outside of their homes in 1891 in our state. We were almost an entirely agricultural economy. People didn't have uh, time cards to punch. They didn't have kids to go pick up at school or, or soccer afterward. It's just a different society entirely. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to get that system upgraded. But the big challenge that I've got that's even harder now with COVID 
is explaining to the voters all the changes and how they work and how you vote, how you use the portal to get your absentee ballot, what the days are and hours are for early voting, where you're going to vote. That changes in many cases due to the use of the vote centers, which is a better system. But my big challenge the next couple of years, especially until we get out of COVID, is just voter information. Getting that information out to voters so they can make sound decisions. That's right. So you mentioned the shortness of poll workers a, mm -hmm. as an issue, and um, you had some, I think, innovative strategies maybe to encourage young people in particular to be part of that process, to work at the polls, um, to engage civically in that way, maybe mm -hmm. with um, Country Boy Brewing, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm correct. So share with us kind of what, those, what some of those strategies were and the partners that you brought along to increase civic engagement in that way. Well, thank you. Uh, just to put this into, uh, into some perspective, uh, I was elected in uh, November of 2019, and a few weeks later I was invited to speak to the legislature and lay out some of my policy ideas and, and assess the situation. And this is before coronavirus. I told them that we have a poll worker crisis in our state. We just don't have enough poll workers. Uh, this is downstream from the larger decline in civic engagement, uh, but the older generations that used to be our poll workers, they're just increasingly not available especially during COVID. In my generation, I'm a Gen Xer, I'm 45. My generation's dropped the ball. We just don't show up. We don't show up to work the polls. We don't show up at the PTA. We don't show up anywhere. And we have a similar problem with millennials and so forth. So one big challenge that I've got, and this is a half measure, is to reduce the number of locations and have better locations, uh, vote centers. That helps, but it's not a sufficient solution. We really gotta have Kentuckians step up. Uh, last year I did a video and I said, if you're a Democrat who's worried about vote suppression with not enough places to vote, volunteer to be a poll worker. If you're a Republican that doesn't like vote by mail and you want people to vote in person, well, then be a poll worker. Uh, both sides win here. Uh, so we've had a lot of help uh, from the private sector. Uh, we uh, built a partnership with the Kentucky Guild of Brewers. Uh, they put special QR codes on beer bottles and cans. So we had a, a campaign called SOS from your SOS. We were running the flag saying we, we got to have help. We need poll workers. We need 15,000 poll workers to run an election. We had about 2,000 last spring. That's just not sustainable. So uh, through a, a PR campaign to help us promote this need, the QR code would connect a, a beer drinking uh, poll worker uh, prospectively to our website where they could sign up on our portal to become a poll worker. We found about 5,000 poll workers that way. We also have partnerships, for example, with the KBA, the Kentucky Bar Association. They gave uh, continuing legal education credit to attorneys that volunteered to be poll workers. And so we've done a lot of things on the side, but that's only a partial solution. We really need volunteers. Yeah, and an excellent point you make about those, you know, 40-something year olds, 30-something mm. year olds who aren't as civically engaged as their parents or their grandparents' generation. Um, and so that's showing up in everything from our poll workers to, as you mentioned, our PTAs. In 2016, the Secretary of State's office with uh, the McConnell Center and with West Western Kentucky University produced a civic health index um, that pointed to or helped measure volunteer participa participation rates, looked at other issues in civic engagement in the state to measure that health. Mm -hmm. Is there any um, effort um, afoot to possibly update that report, see how Kentucky's doing with civic engagement now? I would like to, if we can get the resources and rebuild the partnership. Unfortunately, the McConnell Center has had a, a tough couple of years being part of the University of Louisville uh, with funding issues. They've had to dial back their civic education program. We may try to find other partners. I would like to see us do that again. 
I am worried about our, our civic health. I mean, gosh, turn on your TV. Uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty scary uh, right now. People are engaged. They're just engaged in the wrong ways. Uh, but, I, but I especially see that the center of our system is kind of in decline. Uh, the loudest voices on the far left and the far right are the ones that get all the attention. They're kind of the squeaky wheels. And unless the center, mainstream Kentuckians, center right, center left, unless they really engage, then they're ceding the advantage to the extremes. So, Secretary Adams, on that note, um, and we've mentioned already, that uh, debate, um, even argument, is, is not inherently bad. It's actually mm -hmm. an important component of our democracy. Um, and informing and equipping, I think, our... Um, young people with the skills to debate and discuss and even argue well um, is important now, as we think about civic engagement, as we think about voting and preparation for voting. So as you speak to, um, speak to classes, speak to college students, speak to adults, rotaries you just mm -hmm. mentioned coming from, what do you say to folks about not being afraid of debate and actually having conversations locally with one another again about the issues uh, that um, are holding us back. Well, I spoke to the Rotary Club in Covington a couple of weeks ago, and I told them, I don't really have an answer to civic decline, but I can tell you that you're, you're part of it. Uh, this is a, an arena where Democrats and Republicans come together, and they're not, they're not labeled that way. They're just folks, and they sit around, and they have lunch, and they chit-chat about UK sports or, or, or whatever, something that's not politics. And unfortunately, then they go back to their computers and it's all political all the time. We've got to find things that we have in common that are not politics. Look, I love politics. I've been in politics professionally my entire life. I began running campaigns when I was a teenager before I was even able to vote. But it's not my full identity. I've got other hobbies, other things I care about. We can't be defined by that politics. We're Kentuckians. Let that define us. And you mentioned being raised in a home, a family of Democrats, uh, but they did becoming vote for me. a Republican. <laughs> um, and so, you know, you have that, um, you know, it's important for us to be able to talk to folks and have conversations about policy issues and about fun stuff uh, with folks from all different backgrounds. Well, it's important to build empathy. I've worked really hard in Frankfurt to make sure I sit down with folks on the other side of the aisle, ideologically or politically, and, and just hear them out. We don't always agree, but you just need a frame of reference of where they're coming from. Sometimes you can find things you agree on that you hadn't really thought about. But that's not just important for people in the government. We should all do that. We should do that in our churches. We should do that in our schools and find, find things we have in common and accentuate those. And over time, we'll see an increase then in our civic health I think so. um, as we do that. Mm -hmm. In the Civic Health Index report, uh, the recommendations were threefold. One, uh, a, a voting campaign. Um, Kentucky needed a voting campaign. Um, two, we needed to look at voting restoration. And three, education. So we need to increase educational attainment in the state. And the report specifically looks at higher education. Surely, with respect to the voting campaign recommendation, COVID provided an opportunity and um, uh, kind of the national tenure around politics provided an opportunity around a voting campaign as well. Um, but it sounds like you'll be doing more work there around the real information that folks want. Well, yeah, the irony is we made it easier to vote, but we also have had a decline in registrations because uh, political organizations, civic organizations can't do voter registration drives. So there's a, there's a silver lining with COVID in terms of the reforms you're able to make, but we're still running up against a pretty steep wind. Uh, so there's that aspect. We've made it the easiest to vote that it's ever been. 
Uh, we also want to make sure people know what those rights are. That's really important. If they can't exercise them, they don't know about them. Mm -hmm. With regard to restoration, I completely agree it is time for a constitutional amendment in our state. What we've had in the past, the last, I think, seven governors, depending on the party of the governor, we either had a restoration via executive order or we had that terminated by executive order and it's gone back and forth for about 20 years. I don't think it's the governor's job to make this decision. I don't have any criticism of the governor for doing that, but it shouldn't be one person's decision whether 100,000 people get to vote or not. And that should be the confidence piece, right? Confidence of the electorate that it is a bipartisan decision. Yeah, and I think there's a pretty good chance that the Republican legislature will actually pass restoration of rights and put on the ballot for us to vote on. That's the ideal way to do this, mm -hmm. is to have the law made not by one person, Democrat or Republican, but have the people's legislature pass it, put on the ballot, and let us all vote on it. I think it would pass easily. We the people. That's right. <laughs> so, Secretary Adams, I, I want to wrap up um, on, on the education issue. Um, we know that increasing educational attainment is a social determinant of so many things. Um, it's a social determinant of civic engagement, social determinant of health, um, a social determinant of um, income, decreasing poverty. So one thing that you've done in recent months uh, that I wanted you to share a little bit about was your TikTok video around FAFSA participation. So share a little bit about what, what prompted you to do that, the importance of education to you as a Kentuckian and in your role as Secretary of State. Um, and feel free to share with us more about what's on the horizon for TikTok. Well, thanks. I, uh, ed education is really important to me. It's why I'm sitting here now. Uh, I. Uh, true story I actually had to take I was the first in my family to get to go to college I had to take remedial courses when I went to University of Louisville I, I was a smart kid I just didn't have a good education unfortunately uh, where I came from in a, a rural county with not enough resources uh, and some folks believed in me and I ended up being uh, successful going to Harvard on uh, low-income aid and and I've had a good career and I want that for every Kentucky kid uh, I adopted a daughter from Guatemala and it was really important to me to try to give back and take someone who was uh, what Jesus would have said among the least of these and give her a, a good life, give her a chance. Uh, something I've learned from my daughter, she's uh, turning 15 uh, in a couple of weeks, is the importance of TikTok. Uh, part of how I won an upset election was I utilized a lot of social media effectively. Uh, I was the only Republican who won despite losing senior citizens uh, to my opponent. I had to overperform with younger voters and so I used social media uh, pretty aggressively. I think that made a difference. Uh, so I did a TikTok video last year to promote uh, filing the FAFSA uh, free aid uh, for our students. I'm actually going back to the Capitol later today to shoot a second TikTok. This is aimed uh, at ensuring folks know about business scams, uh, folks that impersonate our office to try to trick them into paying a fee to get records that are free for all of our uh, constituents. Excellent. And so will that TikTok video include your drum set? We're still writing the script. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we'll look forward to seeing it and to uh, sharing your FAFSA TikTok again. Thank you. Um, which was a joy to watch um, as we work together to increase educational attainment in the state as part of how we increase our um, civic engagement and voter participation. Great. So, Secretary Adams, this has been terrific. We really appreciate you talking with us My and pleasure. sharing your thoughts on voting participation and civic engagement. Thanks Thank anytime. you so much. Thank you.